Well, this evening we're going to be um, continuing on this awesome theme of being conformed um, to the image of the sun. Um, and so we obviously spoke about it last week um, and this morning as well. Um, and I think we're going to be speaking about it for as long uh, as, as we need to, uh, which could be a long time because it really is um, you know, God's ultimate purpose for us as his people. Um, and like we heard about this morning, it, um, it's, it's not enough to be a good Bible-believing, church-attending, tongue-speaking, you know, scripture-preaching Christian. We actually need to be disciples who are conformed to the image um, of the Son. Discipleship isn't just about attendance, it's about participation. It's about, um, you know, participation in His divine nature. Um, and so we're going to be continuing on this theme, um, and there'll be some similarities between what you heard this morning, what you heard last week, um, and what you hear this evening. Um, and so we're in for an exciting ride. Thank you, Lord. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to uh, John chapter 12. Um, and I'm just giving you a heads up this evening, there will be time for questions um, for people that aren't Warren as well. Um, <laughs> And so be on the ready because I am going to ask and stop for questions and we're going to wait until there are questions. We're not just going <laughs> to move on. So if there's things that are sparked through our dialogue, jot them down or file them away in the back of your mind um, because the purpose of these banquet sessions are for the equipping of the saints. It's not just for the equipping of the three panel members. The idea is that we would be sharing and releasing what it is that he's put in us in the hope that there would be some back and forth and some dialogue and opportunity for you to, to share, but also to ask questions um, and to, to gain clarity on some of the things that, that you've heard. So this is a full um, participation event, um, so, so be ready for that. Cool? All right, John chapter 12, verse uh, 20, and we'll go um, right down to 26. All right, and it says this, Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Small verse, hey, but a powerful verse. And I think I might just read from uh, verse 23 again, um, because it's worth us, I think, hearing it more than once. It says, that Jesus, these are Jesus' words, it says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. And so this evening we don't have a locked and loaded set of questions, um, but our fantastic panel members um, are going to be bringing to light um, the eternal word of God, the scriptures, um, and we're going to be unpacking what it is that the Holy Spirit is saying through these verses line by line, uh, precept upon precept. So if we start from the first verse, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Greg, do you want to kick us off uh, with this first first verse? I think, um, you know, it's fascinating that these Greeks, and they come searching for him. And you see these continuous patterns throughout the scriptures where people come to him for reasons that are okay, but Jesus has his reason as to why he's here. And so these Greeks are seeking him, but what are they seeking for him? It doesn't actually say. But this continuous pattern, and you almost see, whenever I see these things, I just see these repetitive patterns of the gospel. Lose your life, find your life, find the reason why you're here, honour the Father, and away you go again. Okay. And we have to ask why. The question is why. So why have we come to him? Why do we come to him? We see in John 6 people come because he feeds them. We see in John 6 people come because he does miracles. And Jesus uses all these things to bring you from the outer to the inner. But that doesn't necessarily mean we want to be in the inner because we only come for the outer. But he allures you in. He actually deceives you with his goodness to bring you into the best life you can know, not a good life. And so right here, you know, I love the fact that he's, that they, they are coming and he makes a statement, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How was he glorified? Through death. How is your life glorified? You see, if we're going to be a copy of him, if we're going to be an imitator of him, if we're going to be disciples that reflect him, certainly we have to go through the same process. So he glorified the Father and he was glorified in himself through his death and his resurrection. And so we too have to go through a process of death to resurrection. But when you come for him for healing and not necessarily death, or when you come for him for what you can get from him, not necessarily what he has for you, then you find yourself at a bit of a crossroad with a choice to make. And depending on your choice and you're willing to surrender determines whether you'll ever come into the life that he's talking about. Because there's an eternal inheritance in here if you can see it. And this is the challenge for us to see behind the words You know, this morning um, was a great example of what discipleship is to be. And it was awesome that Terry had those questions, you know, because I see a man grappling with the reality of what he's trying to hear. And so it's cool because this is what we have to go through if we're really going to be one because we've all got to go through the process together, which is called Christ, Christ crucified. So our flesh needs to be crucified. So the way Jesus glorifies his Father and is glorified is to give his life. And he says if he doesn't give his life, then those seeds get sprouted. 
So we're called to lay our lives down, are we not? Can you see that as you lay your life down, that's a seed that sprouts seeds? So as he laid his life down, none of us would be here. He never laid his life down. If he held on to his life, we're not even here. But he didn't. He gave his life and it glorified the Father. When we imitate that because we're in Christ and you lay your life down, you give your life as an imitation of what you've seen, the seeds that you give, well, you lay your life down as a seed, it releases seeds. And so it's one pattern. And that's how we also glorify the Father or find glory within us is the giving of our life. And it's multi-layered, eh? You know, like it's, it was, in this context, it's Jesus who's giving his life. But like you said, it's the process that he demonstrated is what we are to go through as well. And like Mel shared this morning, you know, when, when Jesus was saying to his disciples, I'm going to die, Peter's first reaction is no way, that, that will never happen to you, you know? And, and obviously we know the passage that Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, your mind is set on man's interests and not on God's, you know? And I feel like in this passage here, you can, you can see the, the eternal purpose of God that's being at work, that Peter had no ability to see that unless a, a, um, a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, you know? And he could see the seed dying, but he couldn't see the much fruit, you know? And so often, I think, even like Greg was saying with the dialogue this morning, it's so easy if you're hearing through the, your natural filters to hear loss and death and sacrifice, and it's not that it isn't that; it's that at the um, on the flip side of it is an abundance of life, you know. And I think that you know, so, um, being able to see what it is that is that lies behind the words and see God's process and His purpose is what motivates you to you know to go through the, the same thing. Because, I mean, you know, there's so much, isn't it, needs to die. So, like, the way you think and the way you learn needs to die. Because, you know, like this morning, well, let's just, this is, I mean, you know, Paul says he speaks spiritual thoughts and spiritual words because he has the mind of Christ. So it's a spiritual language. Okay, so... This morning, we didn't say hate. We used a spiritual word to describe something that the English word uses. And you have to have a hear the meaning behind the spiritual language. So if you just heard English, you didn't hear. You have to know the substance that Sam said that's sitting behind that word hate. Because that's what he's describing. Can you hear that? Okay? This is the challenge for the church because the operating system of man is hearing the word hate and has his own understanding of what hate is and goes there. But we're not even talking about the word hate. We're talking about something that sits behind hate, which is a spiritual substance. It's a spiritual thought. And Sam is using spiritual words in English to describe this reality. And this is why it becomes so confusing because you've actually, I'll give you an example. We all go to Japan. We've got to be able to understand Japanese. We don't ask them to speak English because they're speaking their language. 
So it's a spiritual language with spiritual thoughts because you have his mind. So you see his mind, you have his mind, then you describe his mind in spiritual words. So the reason why we've all been given the Holy Spirit is to understand the spiritual language of heaven, which isn't English. It's not Aramaic, Hebrew, Greek. It's nothing of the natural. So imagine me speaking now, do you understand what I say? Because that's what you've got to understand. That's what you've got to hear. And because we are one and you're with me, you go, I know exactly what you're describing. See, it takes it all out of So you've got to die to this natural way that you learn, which is in every other area of life. And the power of God has to open up this realm. So now you hear words that are not English. But I'm hearing you. And I'm seeing you and I understand you because my teacher is your teacher. And he takes this coded message and he reveals it. So this whole process of death is to life. But it's not just dying of your sin. That's the start. How are we and you ever going to be conformed into the literal image of Christ and be Christ-like people on this earth if we're still living? It won't happen, guys. He wants to wipe every part of you. You have to lose every part you were born with and find the new life that was concealed in Christ because it's concealed for you, but it's actually from you. Hence the disciples go on this process and they can't. He's speaking plainly and they can't hear him. Okay, So this is this dynamic and this is why we have to ask questions and grapple because it's like, it's actually outside of our capacity without the Spirit. And so, you know, that's, this is this tension. But if we're going to be one, we've all got to go through the same process, which is death to life. And it's interesting, the people that are involved in this dialogue here, because in First Corinthians, Paul talks about, um, he says that Jews seek signs um, Jews seek for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ and Him crucified. You know, and these people here are Greeks, and so what Paul says, they they're seeking for wisdom. They're seeking to understand me through human intellect. You know, and there's nothing wrong in any way with intellect. It's just not the way into life, is is what he's describing. Otherwise, if you can just think about it normally the most intelligent person on the face of the earth would be the most godly person. Now, I know incredibly intelligent people that aren't particularly nice characters, but I also know incredibly intelligent people that actually are really godly and filled with the Holy Spirit. But we just, we can't compare people on that spectrum, you know? And so if that's the case then simply understanding what the scriptures say isn't enough. And I think that this is what Jesus is, agree- is addressing here. You know? He's saying it's, it's not about your, your ability to intellectually understand my teachings. It's actually about entering into this process that I'm describing of, of death that leads to life. It's, it's resurrection life. It's... Um, it's knowing him through revelation, you know, and I, I know for like for me, for example, in in my workplace, 
when I first started working for the Ministry of Social Development, I came out of university and I had so many people say that that job is such a waste of your ability, it's such a waste of your intellect, it's such a waste of your mind, uh, because I went to work at, at Work and Income. And fast forward two years, I'm now in the MSD policy team, and, but I've had two years worth of living, experience, knowledge, and face-to-face interaction with people that has now set me up for, for where I am. And now I've, I, um, I've got a privileged position that I get to mentor a lot of the young grads that are coming through. And so they say, how did you, how did you know what you know? Because it actually hasn't come from policy learning. And so it's actually... I, I learned this by sitting in front of a solo mum and having to say, actually, sorry, you don't meet the, meet the criteria to be able to have a food grant today, and so you're going to have to find another way to go and feed your kids. Living experience knowledge that is so heart-wrenching that, is, that when it's applied in a, in a policy context brings to light so much more than just the rules on the page. See, I've got living knowledge. I don't just have theoretical academic knowledge. And so for these young people, so often I'm saying, actually, like, it's not just a matter of study. You need to actually get out there and experience life and experience people. And to me, this is what, what he's talking about here when we talk about, about knowledge. It's genuine revelation knowledge that then when you come to the scriptures and you hear something about um, you know, if you don't hate your, your mother, your brother, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. If you've, got living, if you've got living knowledge that you've entered into through revelation, the word hate doesn't throw you in the way that it once, once might have. You might think, oh, yeah, actually, I could probably think of a better way to describe that in the English language. But you absolutely know the intensity and the word that lies behind the word so you're not turned off. You step forward because you share in the same substance. You've shared in the, the revelation knowledge, the true knowledge. And so you can dialogue on a level that, that other people can't. You know, And that's in, in, in my mind, this, like Greg said, this is all about discipleship. You know, this is not about an exclusive club. This is about being a family and walking with one another to, to share testimony of who God is and what he's done inside of us so that we all as a family can enter into true knowledge of who God actually is and, and can dialogue and fellowship through words because our fellowship is more than words. Hey? It's life in him. So, the, the other thing that's happening here or has happened is that he's just um, he's just been um, hailed in this entry um, into Jerusalem. Um, you know, with he's sitting on the donkey and people are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, that, that sounds like it's glorifying him, doesn't it? And yet, glory that's received from man is so fickle. Because, fast forward a little bit, those same people are crying, crucify him. 
and he's talking about a, a completely different reality. So he's a, he's arresting an earth to God wish that, that an understanding that's in the head that that the the King of Israel's arrived, and he's speaking heaven to earth. This is what it looks like for the sun to be glorified. And it's an entirely, I'm going to flip everything because you, you're never going to come into what I've got unless you can hear what I'm saying and come into the way that it happens. And it's not going to happen through the rah-rah, let's have a leader that just does all the work and we just come in under the wake. Actually, this is going to affect all of you because um, it's not about a king, it's about a kingdom of priests and kings being made and that process is that we all go through the cross. Um, And I love the fact that it talks about um, the, the glory is this oneness he talks about in, um, where is it, John 17. So, so John seventeen twenty two. the glory which you have given me, this is Jesus talking to the Father, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. The grain of wheat falls into the earth and it, it's going to become not just alone. What would it be when you think of a grain of wheat as having the potential for so much but that we get to the place at the end and realise that the potential was never realised because it never let it go and that's who we are we have the potential but the process is the death the process is the letting go. Otherwise, this oneness can never happen in, in the way that he's wanting this life, this resurrection life to be in us and coming out of us in our everyday experience. I think that, you know, Jesus in his mind knows what it means to glorify the Father. You know, he knows what it is that the Father's looking for. And even just before we came here, we dropped Levi off at Mum and Dad's and they had the rugby on. And one of the guys scores a try and he does the, what is it called? The Hail Mary or something like that. All glory to God, you know. <laughs> and, and, and so you hear these words thrown out, you know, God be glorified, or it's the sort of thing that you'd bring into a, some sort of worship song if you don't know what else to say, you know, it's like glory to God, you know, but actually here, like there's a specific kind of glory that actually glorifies the Father, you know, and it's not 
your performance on a sports field, it's actually the divine nature being formed inside of you, you know. Um, he says it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what glorifies the Father is when we as the church grow up in, in maturity into the fullness um, of, you know, of, of Christ and radiate and demonstrate his nature here on the earth. And so I think that, that when we're talking about you know, what it means to glorify him, to me that Jesus glorified the Father by going to the cross, not just because he went to the cross, but even look at the way that he went to the cross, you know, that it says that he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. He didn't once open his mouth. Imagine him, imagine him halfway along the way, like stopping and complaining or grumbling or getting frustrated at the people who, you know, th- there was none of that because he had the divine nature formed in him, you know, and so his life was a demonstration of the Father's glory, the divine nature inside of him. Eh? So it's very different to, um, you know, just a um, verbal acknowledgement of God. It's it's more about a life that demonstrates Christ in you, you know. All right, should we, should we look at any more uh, on verse 24? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Anything else you guys want to say? You know, I just think the much fruit, you know, this is, it also talks about us again. Mm-hmm. So we're to bear much fruit. Our lives are to be fruitful, you know. And it says in John 15 that, that's when we're fruitful, it proves we're, here to, we're his disciples. So we don't go and try and um, prove we're his disciples. The fruit in us proves we're disciples. So once again, there's this synergy and this connection and this oneness of, of us following the true process. And, you know, it's like, actually, why am I a follower? Because I didn't want to go to hell. Maybe. I'm not really interested in anything else. You know, and this is where the clash comes. This is where flesh and spirit go hammer and tong. Um, because you go, well, I'm happy to accept the first offer, but I'm really not that interested in losing my life, which is what we're going to get to on the next verse. It says if you love your life, you'll actually lose it. And you've got to hate it. But how do you hate it? Well, you have to see. And if you haven't got sight, then... The, you'll probably love your life and you'll probably hang on to it. And so you have to hear a word that's not human. It's a word, it's a sword that comes and literally pierces so you can lose your life. Because I'll tell you right now, no human being will lose their life. You're wired to live. That's why we, you know, I know people commit suicide, but as a general statement, nobody wants to lose their life. So we try to live. So if a gunman came in here right now, we'd either all run, attack him, we'd do something because we want to keep our life. Okay, So we need someone far greater than us to come in and sever us so we can actually live the way we've been designed to live. And yet you can just stay with your ticket and yet there's to be a demonstration. So 
obviously the Father, Son and the Spirit are all working towards a macro plan and it's generational and I love it, the hour has come Okay, God's into time he's outside of time but he's into time says the time is now, the hour, it wasn't one minute past an hour, one minute before an hour, the prophetic picture was unraveling and the time is now, the hour has come for this monumental event and God says your time is now oh I'll get back to you your time is now You know, and this hit me during the week God's outside of time, but I'm not. I've got about 30 years. I'm more on the side of not being in time than I was when I was born. So I've got about 30 years, let's say, to receive as much as I can in him to be all I can be in him because my time's running out. Your time's running out, even though God's outside of time. Can you hear that? So what are you doing with your time? How are you spending it, using it? Is it to see his glory and his kingdom expressed in and through you, or is it for you because you actually still love you and you don't hate you? And when you see who you weren't in view of his mercy, which is the true worship, I surrender my entire life on an altar. God's not interested in my works. He's not interested in my offerings. He's not interested in my sacrifices until I give him my heart, my life. And this is something that the church radically needs to be apprehended by as a whole because we're more likely to give him our offerings and our sacrifices. But when he says, hey, it ain't cutting it, I want you but I want to make you. So I'm not coming to hurt you, I'm actually coming to free you from you so you can be who I've created you to be, but there's this thing in the way called you, meaning your flesh. And yes, it may have been crucified to a measure, but there's still a lot of it still living. could be a mindset that's keeping you bound, you know? And so it's huge. And it remains... You know, to me, it's the difference between a, a seed life and an abundant life. You know, <laughs> like, and I think you know that the seed contains such potential, but like Sandra says, that potential can just sit sit dormant unless it goes through this process of being sown and bearing much fruit. You know, and you know when when we are born again, we receive the seed of the kingdom of God that has every potential in it for Christ-likeness in us, you know. It's his seed, it's his word that gets implanted in us, and it's his power that makes us grow, you know. And to me, this is the great mystery of, you know, are we, are we predestined or do we have free will? Well, it's actually both. You know, we're, we're predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, is what Romans says, but if, if we're predestined, where are the sons of God that all of creation is, is, is eagerly awaiting and groaning for? There needs to be a, a transaction that takes place that, that takes us from being a seed to bearing much fruit. Hey, 
you know, that even as we are predestined in him and he's seen who we were before, we were conceived in his mind before we even, you know, physically took a breath, there needs to be an intersection of his divine calling and our surrender to that calling that sets our lives on, on a different course, eh? And I, I feel like I've, you know, in this scripture there, there is such a dynamic between those two things and throughout the week I've just been meditating on this verse and I just had a really bizarre typology that came to mind. I hope this is okay. <laughs> but it's a basketball typology. There's this guy in the, in the NBA, his name is Yao Ming. Has anyone heard of Yao Ming before? He is, like, he's, an, he's a Chinese guy. And Chinese are renowned for being quite small, but this guy is over seven foot. He's one of the tallest basketball players to ever literally play in the NBA, and all the NBA players are massive. The smallest are like my size, and I'm six foot three. And this guy is like a giant, but there's, like, there's, a, um, a, there's a myth in basketball that Yao Ming's parents decided to get together so that they could have the tallest most dominant basketball player on the planet. <laughs> I think it's more than a, a, a myth, you know. He's had to play it down a few times in interviews. But anyway, so the, his parents predestined this guy to be the most incredible basketball player on the planet. Yet Yao Ming, when he was interviewed, he said, look, actually it doesn't matter because when I was a child growing up, I, t- I decided to dedicate my life to the game of basketball. And he became an incredible basketball player, one of, the, one of the top basketball players of all time. Now, to me, this is, this is the potential that we have in Christ, that we, have been, that we have been called and predestined before we even took a breath to be conformed to the image of the Son. The potential is there, the seed is there, the DNA, if we've been born again, lives inside of us. But until we surrender to the calling that he chose us for before we were born, we'll actually never live out who we were always chosen to be. And like Galatians 4 says, we'll live as slaves even though we're sons. We'll, we'll live a life full of such incredible potential to know him and to live like him and to model and to glorify him, to, to, to live from this image but in not knowing our predestined value and who he's chosen us to be or having an interest. You know, this to me is why it's so important what we're talking about this morning, that if you're more interested in other things and you're not prepared to surrender to who God has called you to be, then you're just you're living, the, the, the most devastating thing is you're living beneath your potential. Eh? In economics, we call it the opportunity cost. It's the cost of giving up something. And the opportunity cost here is the difference between a seed and a, and a mustard tree that, you know, it's, a, it's the difference between, um, you know, a life that is a blip and a life that is full of eternal potential and, and purpose in him, you know. And so there needs to be an intersection between the predestined plan of God and the surrender of our own will and our own life so that we can actually be participants in this heavenly calling that he's chosen us for. And I think, you know, to me, that's that's what's so sad is not that we were never going to make it. It's actually that we had the potential to, but like, like we see in 
in, you know, in so many of Jesus's parables, um, you know, there's things like excuses come up or other priorities or other people that, that sidetrack and distract us from who it is that he says we're, we're to be. And so we don't reach that point um, of, of, of full surrender and, and devotion to him. Hey. Yeah. I think, um, and this is why, you know, what I love about Christ, he always leads with the promise. So I'll just reword what Sam said another way. Because he always talks to you from his perspective, how he sees you. So he's always talking future now. He's in the future, even though he's standing beside the disciples. And he's calling them into their future, but it's his now. So he never addresses them as they actually are in their present. He's always addressing them as who they are. So he calls them friends, but they're not. But he calls them friends. The red friends is covenantal partner. Okay? They're hardly living in their covenant when they deny him doing all their things, are they? Not exactly a flash covenant. He's keeping covenant with them. But he calls them friends because he sees them as friends. Because okay? he's calling. He's telling you who you are. It's just whether you believe it. So then what he does, he's always addressing your promise. So then he has to come beside you and address you in your present. This is where it's won or lost, is in your present. Because your present could be keeping you out of the promise. So he says, this is who you are. He comes beside you and says, Pam, you don't believe it. I know you don't believe it, and so I need to actually renew your mind. Will you relinquish your, the fact that you don't believe it to me? So I can renew your mind through my power, so now you can actually believe in what I say. Then you'll be able to live as my friend in an alignment to what I'm calling you into. So he's always calling us into who he says we are and who he sees us to be. It's just whether we're living that. That's why he's so amazing. He never addresses your past. He never picks up your past and rubs it in your face. Because why? Because he's forgiven it. But he comes into your present and says, this is the issue. Let me give you an example. Woman at the well. He comes, he says, I've got living water for you. I know that you've already been marked as mine. You don't, but I do. So I'm addressing you today. And then he says this, but if you want this water, if you want the reality of who actually I know you're to be, go get your husband. Because your present reality is stopping you coming into why I'm even here, to bring you into your promise. And it's the same for us. It's your present that gets in the way of your future. And see, we've bought into this lie that this, oh, God will finish what he started. As if you don't have any part in that. It's he'll finish what he started with your agreement to allow him to finish what he started. You can actually pull out of the partnership and go no and so he can't finish what he started because you don't let him but he wants to and he's here and he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you and he's in you to show you everything in him for you and this is the power of revelation it's like there's two these are the two greatest motivating factors to lose your life one the revelation of his love implanted within you not that you know God loves you, but you experience his love in you. Okay? That frees you. That's number one, and that's the most important. Number two is seeing the future. See, this is why we don't let go of our lives. Either we don't know love, 
but we just know about it, but we actually haven't had it implanted. It's not something you work out. It gets implanted into you through power. Okay? Ephesians three fourteen to 20. Go marinate in that and ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen you with power, to literally implant power, love in you so it opens up and you receive love that goes beyond your mind. Isn't that what it says? It goes beyond comprehension. How wide, how high, how deep is the love of God that trumps your ability to know it? Paul didn't know it. He knew it. But then the second greatest thing is when he opens up the inheritance, which is in the Son, and you now see why you were given life. And you don't even, you don't even, it's not even conscious you will lose you. You just will. You will just be drawn to what you're looking at. That's why he says, fix your eyes on me, because everything's in me. And all of a sudden, you just do this. And you start losing and leaving your old life. And now you're 500 miles down there, and you don't even recognize the person that was sitting on the seat. Not because you tried, because the Holy Spirit's become your teacher, and he's showing you the inheritance for you and the saints. And you will run to that because it's better than life itself. That's right. But if you can't hear it, you'll never see it. Hearing is the way to seeing, meaning faith. But we're not to live by sight. We're to be people of faith because we're eternal people. It says I'm out of my body. I'm not home right now. So if my home is heaven and heaven is eternal and I'm of heaven and that's my home then am I going to live on earth through temporal lens or eternal lens? Eternal, because my home is eternal. But I can live here through temporal sight. Well, I'm not called to live. I walk by... Great, well, where's faith? Here. And faith is knowing. So I need a faith that's greater than what I'm looking at. Don't I? Because if I'm taking my leading from what I'm looking at, then I'm a temporal being. But I'm called to be an eternal being because I'm not living by faith. And the Bible says it's a fight of faith. So why better have what's greater in here, which is the reality of what's in him, because faith has its foundation in someone. And everything in him, if I'm looking at and I'm coming into more and more and more of my inheritance in Christ, I've thrown that old life away because my old life compared to that. Why would you hang on to that? The only reason I hang on to me is because I can't see how good I've been perfect I've been created to be. And so I think this stuff is life. And more often than not, it's actually just vomit that's got nothing in it, but I don't yet know. And so I have to have something greater than my vomit, which I think is beautiful food to actually start partaking of eternal food because I can see it. And so in the book of Revelation, the Spirit was sent, an angel was sent to John to write down what he saw. So this is actually written from seeing spiritual sight and you're trying to understand it in your mind, (laughs) you're going to be very confused and your head will hurt like I'm telling you, your head will hurt because it, it's not the way, guys. Okay, So if it was seen and then written, then we have to see what's written, not understand it, firstly. You've got to know it. 
So the two greatest motivating factors to lose your life is love. Not knowing he loves you, we all know that in our minds. Doesn't necessarily believe it. We have to have it imparted into us. And then secondly, it's seeing, like, who can tell me what this means? If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. What's sitting behind those words? Because there's something incredible sitting behind these words. If anyone serves me, there's a question, he must follow me. What does it even mean to follow Jesus? And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Think inheritance. Anybody want to have a go? Um, serving is in, in love. Call to serve one another in love. Yep, yep. Okay, so unpack that, Ollie. Just unpack what you know then to give that answer. So sitting on his throne, why? Well, there's a promise in Revelation that talks about those who overcome right. will sit on my throne with, with me. Right. And what is that? If you, okay, okay, let's just role play this. Jesus, Greg, on the same throne. What might you call that? Say me? A marriage. But there's a type of serving that's required and a type of following if I want to be here. It's not just following when I choose to follow. It's not serving when I choose to follow. It's not serving with conditions. It's not following with conditions. It's not that following. It's a very specific type of serving and a very specific type of following that actually gets me in this place where I can overcome what, Ollie? What are we called to overcome? The world. Three things. Self, which is flesh. The world. And Satan. So there's a specific type of following through a specific type of serving through a specific type of death where you're no longer living so now you are like, okay, Greg died and Greg similar of old died. Now he's a palatable hunk of clay who's ready to be moulded. And as he goes to work and starts to mould Greg Simnel, Greg Simnel starts to find himself being able to not only follow Jesus physically, follow the example that I've been given. Because he's changing the inside because I'm a brand new creation that he's molding into whose image? His own. So as he molds me into his image from the inside out, now I can actually start to serve him the way he served his father. Not because I'm trying, because it just becomes an innate natural process and also I have the divine enablement to be able to do it. So I'm now obedient to everything the Father's asking me because he's building me bit by bit, block by block, 
to the point where I'm now literally following his example. I'm becoming not God, but so Christ-like that I'm entering the inheritance which he said, if you do, the Father will honor you. With what? The reward of inheritance. Which one? There's multiple things. There's a crown of righteousness. Do you know about this? I mean revelation. Not just where it is. Do you know there's a crown of righteousness for all those who live a life of righteousness? Now, do you think if I'm serving and following that I'm going to be living a life of righteousness? It says the word has been given to us that we would practice righteousness. It's all connected. And so the Father is going to honor me because he's going to, I'm going to overcome through the power of God. And guess where I'm finding myself? Next to Christ. And there's the Father. You might call that oneness, yeah? Which is Jesus' prayer in John 17. What does Ephesians say? Doesn't it say I've been raised up with Christ and seated in heavenly places? And everything I have is in the spirit. But I'm here. But I'm there. Maybe I'm just warming the seat up for when I actually arrive at the place I've always had because that was my inheritance and I saw it and I lived it even though I was on earth. So when I get there, he just says, oh, sit down, son. I've been warming your spot, but you've actually been warming up because you really lived from this place, which is a spirit place, but on earth, because my kingdom is on earth and you're a son of my kingdom. And so you actually serve me and follow me from the spirit. And so guess what? You're going to be honored. What do you honor with? Here's your inheritance. Now, this age and the age to come. You ever thought about the age to come? What are you going to be doing in the age to come? I don't know, floating around on clouds? No. Ruling, reigning, serving, working with him. It's an incredible inheritance for the saints. And yet saints can live as slaves. Never knowing their inheritance, never owning it, never possessing it because they don't know how to access what's in the spirit. Because faith is the currency of the spirit. And if you don't have faith, meaning the knowledge of God, if you're not fully convinced of what's in the unseen, because faith has its foundation in a substance called Jesus Christ. It's not wishy-washy. It's a knowledge of something you see and know. So when he asks you to kill the son, you don't hesitate. You draw your sword. He's 13, 14 years old. He's the promise that you were waiting for for 25 years, but you do not, what? Waver. Because you're a man or a woman of knowledge, faith. He knows. God can raise him up. No problem. Obedience. He's called the father of faith. Isn't he honored? So there's an honoring that goes while you're on earth. There's an elevating that happens while you're on earth. So the honoring is just not you're going to sit with him. The honoring is an entire life of honor. All of a sudden, as you put him first, remember, you've died and your life is hidden in him. The old guy's gone. The new guy is a new model. And he is elevating you above the earth. And as you learn through the spirit, you now know how to live. You're not asking for how-tos. You see, and this is the challenge between the institutional model 
and the true kingdom model. The true model that Jesus comes to build that he brought with him and us possessing and knowing how to enter into. But guys, we can't. If we don't know the Holy Spirit as our teacher, he's the one entrusted to open up this realm, what I'm talking about. And so once again, if we don't, if we haven't lost our lives, if we're like tagging him on, if it's like, I'll give you five minutes on the way to wherever, it's like, what are the chances that we're going to see here, even though it's going out, week in, week out? If it's concealed from you, do you realize that? Do you know it's concealed from you? What does that mean, if it's concealed? It's hidden. But it can be found, but not in your ability, through your surrender and saying, Holy Spirit, you're the one that's been given the code. You can decipher the code, Morse code. You know how to take this thing and bring it to light spiritually that I can see it and I, re- I um, receive it in my spirit. Not because I figure it out, because I'm posturing myself and waiting on you to reveal it. And all of a sudden, you start living this sucker. How do you do that? Get to know him. There's a, there's a parable, um, you know, that, that Jesus shares, and he says, you know, the, the kingdom is like a merchant seeking, you know, fine pearls, and upon discovering this one pearl of of immense value, he sells everything that he has for the sake of this one pearl, you know? And this is what I hear Greg describing about what this process looks like. When you discover the incredible inheritance that's in Christ and his purpose for you, it is it's it, it motivates you to let go of everything that you have for the sake of what you've you've tasted and seen and discovered. It's it's liberating and life giving. You no longer see it as loss because actually you've grain, gained the greatest possession that you could have ever attained to. Eh? You know, so it's an entirely different perspective. All right. Um, do you guys have any questions specifically about what you've what you've just heard, in terms of his his purpose or the inheritance that's in him? Any? Yeah. But I have a bit of a difficulty understanding what's the difference between being justified, so that we're clean and harm like we're justified when we've um, r- repented, comes to the cross, okay, been covered in the blood of Jesus, washed in the blood of Jesus, so we're justified, I believe, and um, dying, to, yeah, dying to self. So, yeah, it's, should that be the same thing? Because a lot of Christians, I would think, would be justified but not fully dying to self. So they can't, if we come into the inheritance... He has for them because they're not fully died. So I'm having a bit of struggle with that. Great question. Great question. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
We're all stunned. <laughs> no, I think that's a. I think it's a fantastic. It's not. No, 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 no not at all. I think it's a. It's an absolutely fantastic question. You know, because so when when we're justified, you know, the word means just as if you've never sinned. So, like what Greg was describing, your like your entire past has been washed by his blood, um, you've been reconciled back into relationship with the Father, but just because that transaction has happened doesn't necessarily mean that you think like him, see like him, that your life reflects his, um, because there might, you still might be found living, living for you and having passions in you that aren't necessarily his heartbeat in you, you know, and so that's why you've got, uh, you know, justification, sanctification, glorification, and this process of sanctification is what I hear you describing in terms of what does it mean to to lose your life. It's the process of transformation where the way that he has, the way that he sees you, actually becomes a living a lived experience in your life. So you're no longer a Christian who has been washed by his blood but just continues to live for you or continues to struggle with the same thing year in, year out. So that's why, to me, it's a two-part package. He's justified us. We're just as if we'd never sinned. Now his sanctifying power goes to work within us and actually, um, you know, um, makes us who he sees us as in in reality, you know. So. But, um, yeah, so when we're justified, this is, this is a bit So when we're justified, um, Jesus sees us as, if we died then, if we died that day or a week later, he'd see us perfect, right? Because we're justified, we're washed in the blood of Jesus, we're, his, we're daughters, sons of Christ. Um, it's like we never sinned unless we've done it in the last week. Then when we live out our life, before, I mean, we keep on living, so we're there, we're to come into um, that sanctification, we've got to actually live out what we have been born into, right? Mm. However, it may take a quite a while with the Holy Spirit guiding us, teaching us, prompting us, convicting us, to actually die to self in the actual reality of that, you know, like the heart position. So you're, you know, you might be holding on to finances or holding on to whatever, whatever the things are, things of self that you're still holding on to. So he, we get convicted of the spirit, we um, surrender that, and then finally we come to this place of dying fully to self, on this earth, then we can start having the fruit. I believe this is where, this is my life. <laughs> Sorry. Then you start seeing the fruit because you've, you died to self as you, um, as Christ died for us, right? Died, totally died. So, so that's when we can actually start coming into the inheritance that we actually we've actually been um, born into, although we have been getting crumbs along the way. So. Um, what am I trying to say here? <laughs> so, yeah, so <sighs> the inheritance that he has for us, we don't fully come into until we fully die to self in, in, our, actually, in our living out of our life on this earth. Is that right? 
or is it? Yes. Um, yeah, it says that he's coming back a second time, but this time, and that there's going to be judgment, but that it's not in reference to sin. So if there's a judgment, if there's a, if there's a future judgment that has nothing to do with your sin because he's justified you already, what's the judgment about? Or works, or it is, it is about works, but it's about, it's about reward. So, so all of a sudden, when Greg is talking about this, this inheritance, it's this inheritance is it's we're not we're not even talking we're not even talking about sin you know we've 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 left that we've left that behind years ago right you know the days of living in sin and you know like should you know like we're not talking about that we're talking about God's eternal inheritance for us as the saints because he's he's justified us by his blood so that we can now enter into um, this. The, the inheritance that he has for us here on earth, but also being prepared for what he has for us in, in the future. You know, do you want to? I, I, I mean, it's sort of you have to. It's like see yourself in three parts: yeah, spirit, soul, body. So he comes in and he gives you a brand new spirit, and so you're justified. His spirit comes into your spirit. He washes you. You're clean. Okay. Cool. That's your spirit has been reconciled to the Lord him. But you have this thing called a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotion. Now, because God is outside of any box, so this is what happened to me. 1997, I get my spirit reconciled back to God. But the power of God came and went into my soul as well, smashing my will. So I get justified by his blood in my spirit and then his power goes past my spirit and starts to deal to my soul realm, which then hits my body, which means I turn up here dead to my own will because the power smashed my will, which is in my soul. I also got part of my mind renewed. I knew stuff and never read the Bible, but I could tell you stuff that was in there and people would quote me the scriptures. I go, I don't know. Don't even read the book. I've never read the book, but I could talk about Jesus, the living word. Okay? And that enabled me to start actively serving straight away. So my body was the manifestation of being justified, the power going through and hitting my soul realm, and then actually changing my physical where I was. I was never coming to a building. Okay? You're tracking so but you can so it's there's no formula. So you can just be justified and it never hits your soul realm which means it never hits your body, but you're justified in your spirit. So he wants to save your soul. He wants to take your mind and completely give you a brand new one. Okay? So I do not have the complete mind of Christ. But I'll tell you right now, my will is dead. That got smashed on the rock in 1997. Okay? Same with Paul. Paul's will got smashed, but his mind needs to be renewed. Okay? My emotions are still my emotions, and the Word of God is shaping my emotions. So when stuff happens that's not necessarily pleasant, the Word determines your feelings. And that's an ongoing work that will always be, because you're being perfected into His image. Okay, So it's, when we say lose your life, deny yourself, 
it just depends on what that is for you. Some people's still will has not been lost. So the driver that drives and controls your life, which is in your soul realm, your saved, still has you. Okay? And so it needs to fall on the rock and be smashed through hearing a word that crucifies it. For some people, they've gone beyond that point because they fell from a greater height. You know, the dented, the cracked and all that. It's your will that needs to die. Then he wants to take your mind and renew your mind. So as he, through supernatural power, Holy Spirit, takes the thoughts of God and starts to change your thoughts because you relinquish your thoughts, you now have his mind. Now you have thoughts that define your feelings. It's no longer living about I feel, I feel, and my feelings are taking me up and down and all around the place because I have my mind renewed, I have his word in me, my word determines, so his word, how we live. And that comes out of our body. And so ultimately, like it says in Corinthians and Romans, that the Christ manifestation comes from within us and it actually gives life to our mortal fleshly bodies. So you can be anywhere on that process, and it's a continuous process. So for me personally, I know I'm justified by his blood. I know my will got smashed in 1997, and I know he's been renewing my mind from that day forth, which is shaping my feelings. So when stuff happens, when people tell me they don't like me and blah, 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 because I have the love in me, I can still love them. It has the potential to cause division, but because love is in there, because my mind's been renewed and I've received love, I can love on the behavior that's not lovely. Does that help? And so that's a continuous, you're being perfected, be perfect like your heavenly father's perfect. So give you an example, Acts 10, Peter, he doesn't have the mind of Christ in relation to the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. But the man has had his will smashed out of him. He's full of power. He's preached just before. 3,000 have got saved, but he still doesn't have the fulfillment of the mind of Christ when he sees the vision of the food coming down. He then doesn't do what he used to do because his will has been smashed. He would have gone, fought over that, blah, blah, blah. But then he goes not knowing. And on the journey, he gets the revelation because his will has been removed. The old Peter would have sought them and fought for that. Now nah, I'm not going anywhere, blah, 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 blah. No, that's been dealt to. And he goes, and then he says, I now know because the Holy Spirit revealed to him on the journey why he was coming. So you have to know where you're at on that process because if your will is still living, it needs to get crucified. But you can't crucify it. This is why I wish, I wish I'd have a pill. Take the pill, take the pill, take the pill. <laughs> oh yeah, man, the oneness in the church would be incredible because it's your will that actually fights you because it's actually still demonic, remember? It's a demonic nature in you called flesh. And so there's a war that goes on. So when that's why we have to preach the truth which crucifies the flesh, but you can run away. Or you don't like it, or you know. And this morning was just a little example of it, which was awesome because it's happening. So what I'm saying was happening this morning. It happens every time we gather, because that's the pattern. So you just have to know where you're at on the journey, and we encourage one another, walk with one another, love one another, cover one another. Because I tell you right now, when flesh manifests, it's 
ugly. And that comes out and it wants to rip your eyes out. And can you love on that? That's why God puts you in a test. Test to see you're in the faith. So things are going to test. So the coronavirus is going to test where we're at. Not for the purpose of making you feel stink or whatever. You might go, man, I passed that. Woohoo, bring on the next one. Because the life in you. And so it's just recognizing where you're truly at spiritually. Because once again, when you connect it to the inheritance, like do you guys realize that the Bible says saints are supposed to judge the angels? And the world. So I wrestle with that because I read that years ago and went, who are you talking about? And he went, you. When? Not in this lifetime. No, in the age to come. What age to come? The one that's written down. Don't know about it. Maybe you want to seek me so I can show you it. Mm. How long is that going to take? How long you got? <laughs> Test whether you love him though, eh? Yeah, I sort of love my wife and my kids and they want my time and everyone else wants my time. The church wants my time. Who do you love, Greg? Mm. Mm. Anyway, great, great question, Pam. Um, Does anyone else um, have anything that they had jotted down or that was burning on their hearts? Kind of works in relation to, similar to what you asked, but coming into the renewing of the mind. You spoke about time and you spoke about, you know, say you've got 30 years. Is the renewing of the mind, is that tool in this lifetime? And then, so is that that um, 1 Corinthians 13, now I see in part and then I'll see in full. Is that why we're living now and then after that we're in fullness? Or, I don't know, maybe unpack that a little bit. Do you want to share? Um, so my personal, this is probably my, my personal opinion. You know, it says, the scripture says, teach me to number my days so that there might be found in me a heart of wisdom, you know. And so to me, this process of having our minds renewed as, as a process for now in terms of after in terms of after the grave, you know, there's it, it talks in here about the about the kingdom of God, and it talks that's it's multi layered. There's the kingdom that is within us, the transforming power of God in us now, but there's also a kingdom that's that's a future inheritance, and it says that some, you know, for some there's a small reward, for some there's no reward, and for some there's a an incredible reward, you know, um, and so I think. I feel like to the degree that we enter into this process now determines what that looks like for us in the future. Does that mean that we will or won't be learning in the future? I mean, my personal opinion is that we'll always be continually learning and growing in him. But in terms of the inheritance, the scripture seems to me to say that 
how we live now will determine what our inheritance looks like in the future. You know, so I don't think that means that we won't be learning, but I think it just shows the the value and importance of of that now. You have any thoughts? I, th- I think you know, like the the goal is in sanctification is to get as close as you can to your glorified state. So he says in Romans, I justified you and I'm going to glorify you. I'll give you a glorified body, a brand new body that's completely free of flesh. So the goal of maturity, because what you just spoke about in 1 Corinthians 13, right under that is childlike behavior. When I was a child, I used to think like a child. And we've used that also as an excuse not to think we can know heaps. Oh, I don't even know in part. Sounds great, but then other scriptures say you can know all that God has prepared for those that love him. So there's a wrestle for this reality. I'm never going to know the fullness of God while I'm here on earth. But how much do I want to know of the fullness of God while I'm here on earth? And it tells me I can know heaps. Okay? So, yeah, I prophesy in part. How big's the part? Because he says, no, eye has seen, ear has heard, has not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him and it's revealed through the spirit Paul then said I speak of those things freely and they've been given freely to me so I freely speak of them so you can all have the mind of Christ and it also says that God has more thoughts about us than the grains of sand so it's a continuous process of having your mind renewed to his mind so you actually have the mind of Christ not claim you have something that you can't live from so we all have in the seed of Christ living in us the potential to have the full mind of Christ. Will I have it while I'm here on earth? Don't believe I will. Is it possible? Yes. But how much of that mind do I want so I can live like my Messiah and my groom lived? Well, I want as much as he's prepared to give me. He says, how much do you want? Ask, seek, and knock. So it all comes down to hunger and thirst. It's like, we need, this is what's this trick, okay? we actually need a thirst for something we don't even know exists. And you need a hunger for something you've never eaten. <laughs> Where do we get that, Greg? Well, you start asking because you're hearing about something that you may not thirst for and why you might not have heard, but it's just been articulated into the earth. And so there's a reality in here who says, if you serve me and follow me the way I have instructed you, There is an inheritance which you can know now. Like you can know it now even though you're not sitting next to me on my throne. You can have the power of the promise in you now, today. So it's like you've received it because you have the promise, the power of the promise, even though Sam is not Jesus, but I'm sitting here. But in here and here, do you know where I am? There. Because the Spirit is communing with me and I might as well be there because I live as if I'm there to the measure I'm in Him. Which means I can demonstrate the reality of Him to the measure I know Him because that's where I actually am. Because I'm an ambassador from where? Heaven or earth. So do I live as an ambassador from heaven on earth or do I live as an earthling? Because I really don't know the one I'm representing who I am, identity and identity this morning, I really don't know his ways, so I can't honour him and I can't really serve him. So what I've got is this counterfeit version of an institutional model 
where I do all these things, but I'm really outside of the life that he called me to bring me into because this model knows nothing of it. All it knows how to do is build flesh and fleshly ways, which God loves because it's his body, but it's not this. And so this whole reality opens up a realm as your mind starts to get renewed. And of course, the mind is what? The strongest power given that the world admires. Where does understanding start? Spiritually. Right. Where does it start in the world? What's the power of man? What's the foolishness of God if man starts to? You ain't going to cut it, see? So what has to happen? Death. To what? The way you think. I don't want to die. It's got me this far. Where's it got you in the kingdom of light? And I think that's why it says you, need to, you can't just learn the scriptures and be renewed in your mind. You know, it says you have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know? So there needs to be a spiritual transaction that takes place where his thoughts become your thoughts, and it's, it's by the Holy Spirit. You know? And so no matter how much you, you study and learn, that does not necessarily mean that your mind has been renewed. You know? But in a moment, his Holy Spirit can bring to light what is so much deeper and bigger than just the words on the page. And all of a sudden, when you then read the words, you're reading about something that you know, and the words on the page are only articulating and putting on paper something that you already have experienced and know to be true, you know? So, all right. So time there, Kathy, 6.56. One last question. Yep. But I might not necessarily get it right. But I remember when Ian McCormick was here that um, he started to think back about when he was in heaven and he made a statement that there was something about the people who had been through the process that he noticed. So he, when he looked on and saw the different saints in heaven... He noticed that some had a maturity that others didn't have, and I think that's kind of relevant as well. All right, is that us? Like, do we feel up or down from knowing this stuff? Because it has the potential to bring you down. Because you go, oh, what's the point? But what that's doing is exposing something within, which is good, because it needs to, yeah? So we, that's all going. We, need to, we actually need to be shown because he loves us. So we're all covered. And you need to know he loves you, because when he starts to unravel you and show you, that's where it can all get a bit like, oh, I'm going to undress you, I'm going to unwrap you, because you've covered over so you've covered over your heart to protect it. And I need you to take off those garments. I need you to get naked in front of me. Oh, I don't want to get naked. I just want to keep serving you. Uh, yeah, but you know, you can't actually truly serve me the way I've intended until I actually unravel you. Because you're going to serve out of your own strength. You're going to do it out of your own thought life. 
and you won't come into this life. And so it's like we start hearing this spiritual word and all of a sudden your flesh starts to react. And it needs to because it needs to get crucified if you want to be on the other side of the cross. See, you've got to allow, you've got to go through the cross continuously to come into the life that's on the other side of the cross. And it's a full and overflowing life, but you can't bring the old life with you. You can't pack up and go, right, we're going, and somehow, no, it's like, I love the song, New Wine, I come here with nada, nothing but me. And so go to work on me. Okay? And so all this is life. If you're hearing it negatively, you're not hearing the way you need to hear. So hear life, hear potential, hear promise. My goodness, you call me to what? Judge the angels. Yeah. I've called you to reign in another dimension than on earth, while I've also called you to reign here and see my spiritual domain come in you first and then through you, which is an eternal reality on earth. So it comes back to identity and truly knowing who you are, but you can't know who you are until you actually surrender and then allow him to teach you. Otherwise, like they did, you'll be in opposition to God. You'll be denying him when he's right in front of you and he's telling you, you're going to deny me and you go, no, I won't. And then he has to show you. So just surrender. I'll tell you, it makes it so much more easier and quicker. I don't want to have a long, drawn-out death. Just die. Can I say something about the importance of the body of Christ being uniquely different people, uniquely different parts of the body? So you might have knowledge that you do about things, but what I know and how I am in the Lord can be um, quite different to anyone else, because I'm uniquely a different part of the body. Um, and that's how we're, we work, we're supposed to be uniquely different, and that's how the body actually builds itself up by us being different to each other, rather than me being like you or being... Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so so it's probably worded this way, we all have different gifts, but of the same spirit. So they shouldn't contradict one another, they work together, but it's one knowledge. Yeah? But we work together because we're different parts of a body. When they all fit, it's bingo. And you would have seen that like even this morning in our dialogue, you know, even even this evening, you know, distinct personalities, different ways of expressing things, different kinds of typologies, but actually the one one spirit, you know, what we're what we're hearing and seeing is the same but can be expressed through different people in, in different ways, hey? All right, cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your questions, and uh, see you all sometime soon.